This evening's reading is Psalm 88, and that is found on page 597. So Psalm 88, found on page 597. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbour. Darkness is my closest friend. Thank you very much, Shirley, for, for reading uh, that psalm for us. Um, and thank you again to, uh, uh, to David for inviting uh, me to, to speak on these three evenings and um, uh, uh, to have a little bit of time to, to think through this topic together. Um, grateful for the opportunity to do so. Um, and grateful that um, having, having learned their lesson from two weeks ago, that my, um, my determination to keep things neatly into half an hour failed, um, they've decided that the only thing to do is to increase the amount of time available to me um, uh, and, and cut lots of other things out. So sorry if you were hoping for lots of the other things. Um, the, the way we're going to do this this evening is that I, I am at different points because uh, it just to, to mix it up and get us thinking together. I'm at different points going to invite you to, to, to reflect on uh, a number of things at different points uh, during the next sort of uh, 30 or 40 minutes or so. Um, very happy for you to do that on your own, um, or um, if, you, if you want to interact with others nearby, um, and uh, we will do a bit of to and fro um, to the front as well. Um, that's the way we're going to do it. So, so just to alert you uh, to that, that's the way that we're going. Um, two weeks ago, um, we, were, we were thinking about um, mental health in a, in a sort of broader... Um, we get the PowerPoint up, Olaf. Um, we were thinking about 
mental health in, in a sort of broad um, way. Um, and I was wanting to, and it was sort of quite theoretical, and I was trying to set out a bit of a, a framework to help us to think in this area. Um, tonight, I'm going to try and be a little bit more practical and specific. Um, but, but just if you weren't here two weeks ago, or if it just helps to, to refresh, um, I, I was trying to, make two, uh, trying to make two sort of points, really. The, the first was to, to establish a connection between the Christian faith and, and this whole area of mental health. I wanted to say that I don't think it is, uh, it is helpful for us to think of these as two separate realms, um, but um, to, to see that the, the, the struggles that so often emerge for people in the midst of, of, of mental health difficulties are, are the kind of things that the Scriptures address um, because they are about the, the, the living of life and, um, and they speak to the core of things. Um, so I was making to make that connection. I suppose another way of putting that would be it would be odd if, if living God's way wasn't good for our well-being. If living God's way and living in relationship with Him wasn't good for our mental health. be strange, wouldn't it, if God is our Creator and He tells us how to live life well. It'd uh, be a strange thing um, if it weren't good for us. Now, does that mean then that if, if, if you, you, you live for the Lord, you are guaranteed golden, glorious, marvellous mental health. Um, no, it doesn't. It's not simple like that. Um, and that's the reason that uh, uh, I also set before us a, a bit of a model for thinking about these things and, and to help us to see that there, are, that there are many things going on. Yes, there is our relationship with the Lord um, that spills out of, of, of our heart, uh, the Bible's language for the sort of the inner person, the real me. Uh, there is a relationship with the Lord, but there are, there's also a body in which our heart is. We're an embodied soul, if you like. And there are also circumstances that, that affect us, uh, the circumstances of our life, the tragedies that may come uh, into our lives, um, the suffering, perhaps the abuse from others. All of these things have a bearing upon us um, and so there, there are many factors at play. Uh, and I was wanting to say that as we try and think about somebody's experience of a mental health struggle, we want to be alert to all three uh, of uh, these components, if you like, uh, of lived experience for all of us. Um, uh, this, um, uh, this week, um, uh, we're going to think of, uh, of one particular struggle, uh, which, is, uh, which is depression. Now, um, it's it, probably true to say that um, the, two, uh, the, the two commonest struggles um, uh, in, in the realm of mental health are, are sort of broadly speaking the, the, the anxieties, um, different forms of expression that that takes, um, and the experience of depression. Um, I can't remember now. A few months back, um, I spoke from Luke 12 on anxiety um, in the evening, so um, if, if you wanted to, to sort of hear a few thoughts on that, then you could, you could find that on the website. Um, this week, we're going to think um, uh, about depression specifically. Um, and, and I'm conscious that as I do so, um, I speak into something that is very common. Um, so many of us here will have had our own experiences um, of, um, of periods of depression, or somebody close to us. Um, I'm also conscious that uh, some of you work professionally um, in the mental health zone, uh, and uh, you will know ten times more than I do 
about depression. Um, and so I'm tentative on all sorts of levels uh, as I come to this. Conscious that whizzing through this in you know, 40 minutes or so inevitably means I'm skimming. And I'm going to try very hard to speak sensitively, um, uh, knowing that this touches personally. Um, and I will try hard um, to avoid uh, insensitivities. So depression, what are we talking about? Um, depression um, is often uh, described as, as having four typical features. Um, the first, sort of fairly obviously, is a low mood, often associated with feelings of guilt or worthlessness. Um, everything seems bleak. Uh, life appears valueless and dead. Uh, everything is too difficult. Um, anxiety actually often bound in uh, with the experience uh, of depression. And alongside that will often be um, a reduced level of energy. Um, I, I, there's a lovely, a lovely book written by a Welsh poet um, who experienced terrible periods of depression. And um, because she's a poet, she's brilliant with words. And so I, I've always found it a very evocative uh, picture. And I remember within that, she describes coming down in the midst of a period of depression, sitting in her kitchen, and there on the floor was a basket of, uh, of dirty washing uh, that needed uh, to be dealt with and put through the washing machine. And she describes um, how all day long she sat staring at that basket, knowing that something needed to be done, and unable to find within herself uh, the, the, the ability to be able to set about even that simple task, and how it just accused her for the whole day. Uh, reduced energy not just physically for tasks like that, but also reduced energy mentally, uh, feeling slow, unable to concentrate. Um, in, um, alongside that um, is a lack of enjoyment. Um, sometimes when, when I was working um, in psychiatry, um, I, I would sometimes ask people if they could remember the last time that they laughed. And remember the, the sort of the blank expression of, of the bewilderment of, of the very idea um, that such an emotion could feel possible. Um, pessimistic thinking, an expectation of failure and difficulty, uh, nothing to look forward to, uh, which um, at its worst becomes suicidal in intensity. Uh, and those four um, cardinal features will often go alongside physical changes. Um, a loss of weight, um, uh, a difficult, particular difficulties with sleep, um, and so on. But for me to, to sort of list things like that, um, it doesn't really, doesn't really capture the experience of it. Um, so what about some words from those um, uh, for whom this has been their experience? Well, it's striking how often those who write uh, about the experience of depression use the language of hell. Um, if there is a hell on earth, it is to be found in a melancholy heart. Uh, or the, the Bible translator, if you remember him from years past, J.B. Phillips, um, uh, described his experience of depression as hellish torments. Um, another writer, a veritable howling tempest in the brain. Or the Baptist preacher, Spurgeon, I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. Or, or to bring it more up to date, uh, Elizabeth Wurzel um, wrote a, a famous book called Prozac Nation, 
she said, depression involves a complete absence. Absence of affect, absence of feeling, absence of response, absence of interest. For all intents and purposes, the deeply depressed are just the walking, waking dead. Um, sometimes you find somebody who, who is depressed in that sort of absent way, saying um, th that it would almost help to feel sad. Um, just to feel something uh, would be a relief. Alongside those words and that experience, a believer uh, will often have some additional struggles. Um, uh, we'll often say that there is a sense that in some way the absence of God uh, is part of their lived experience. Uh, the sense that God has left them. Or indeed, the sense expressed um, in the words of, of the psalm um, that Shirley read earlier, um, that God is somehow responsible for this experience. You have put me in the lowest pit. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You've taken from me my closest friends. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Now, we'll come back to Psalm 88 later on. I, I'm, I'm not saying that it's a study in depression, but it is certainly an expression of despair, um, and despair is a cardinal feature uh, of depression. Uh, one of the things that I would like us to, to, to be alert to um, is that d depression is not a singular experience. Um, depression comes in very many different forms. Um, so here, here are four people from my past. Um, uh, Claudia, who I uh, knew through her 20s and into her 30s, um, uh, had experienced depressive episodes uh, from her late teens onwards. Um, and they were very much episodic, by which I mean that in between periods of intense depression, and they really were very, very intense in Claudia's experience, in between those times, um, she was depression-free. In fact, indeed, she was, she was a bubbly, vibrant, vivacious um, uh, uh, woman um, uh, in, in those non-depressive periods, but then would plunge um, into, into catastrophically deep depressions um, that would last for months. Um, very different uh, would be um, David, um, who, I, who I mentioned two weeks ago, in fact. Um, uh, David had never had any mental health struggles at all in his life um, until an onset um, in his late 40s, early 50s, um, when a particular incident at work uh, triggered a, a very profound uh, depressive episode, first, first in, his, in his life. Um, uh, which led to, to distorted thinking and uh, a misperception of just how bad things were in his workplace. Uh, Esther, different again. Um, uh, she too, a bit like Claudia, she too had struggled with depression from her uh, late teens onwards. But in her case, th th there wasn't really any episodes. It was just a long-term 
sort of persistent low mood that fluctuated a bit but never really went away. It, it was kind of part of her experience uh, right through um, uh, from early adult life uh, and onwards. Um, Felix, uh, another man with a, a new onset um, of depression. Uh, in his case, it followed a criminal act um, for which he carried a huge amount of guilt, um, but he had plunged into depression. But in his case, the depression was, was almost cloaked by the degree of, of anxiety that he experienced and expressed. Um, so obsessive-compulsive features uh, were very, very prominent, um, and it wasn't immediately obvious uh, the high level of depression that existed there as well. Four, four very different experiences of depression. Um, uh, and and, and the, uh, those who work in this field uh, uh, use all sorts of different names, um, as well as the, the different types of depression we thought about already, different um, features like the development of, uh, of delusional beliefs. Um, in a depression that is so deep it begins to, to tip over into psychosis, where uh, losing a touch with reality. Um, or the kind of depression that spills um, up in women postnatally, um, perhaps affecting as many as, as one in ten women. Or, or the, the depression that seems to be linked with the winter months uh, and a lack of light. Uh, and then there's also the funny way that we talk about things being really depressing. Um, that sort of casual speech. Um, a man who taught me lots of thinking in this area. I remember him once making the observation that depression is a profoundly inadequate word for this experience. You know, the, the geographers talk about a little depression in the land, don't they? That's got a little depression there, a little dip. Um, you know, what an inadequate word for something as, as awful and as life-altering uh, as this. So the first thing I wanted to, to, to kind of keep us alert to is the way in which when we talk about depression, we are really using an umbrella term under which sit all sorts of different experiences, um, given all sorts of different names. But, but the, the, the names are less important just than the fact that it can vary hugely. So it would be, be a mistake as we, as we think about and engage with this topic to imagine that you know, depression is... Yeah, you've met one person who was depressed and everyone else is the same. They're not. Well, how common um, is this experience? Um, well, remember what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was um, kind of uh, talking about the, the, the experience of fear of spiders, you remember, um, and saying these things sit on a spectrum. Well, well, therefore, as we say, how common is this? You, you have to ask the question, how common is what? Where are we going to draw the line and say, this is depression? Um, and when those who work in this field uh, sort of identify depression um, with particular features and particular sort of manifestations, um, moderate to severe depression uh, might happen in sort of 10 to 15 percent uh, of us in a lifetime. Um, so more than one in 10 of us. Um, uh, twice as common uh, for women uh, as for men. And, and in some studies, um, it, it's been claimed that it is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Now, of course, again, bear in mind, you know, how do you measure disability? Um, what, what are you going to measure to decide? 
but, but even the fact that some studies could, could estimate it in that way tells you um, about the, 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 the scale of the impact um, uh, that depression has uh, in our world. Let's think about somebody more specifically, and let me get you to do a bit of thinking together. Um, uh, we're we're going to sort of imagine somebody. Uh, let's imagine um, a woman called Amber. Um, let's say she's a member of our church family here. Um, and let's say she has been uh, really significantly low uh, for four months now. Um, and it's taken her along to her GP. Uh, and her doctor has said that, um, uh, that she has a significant depression. Uh, and he prescribes an SSRI, one of his selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, from the Prozac family of drugs. But Amber um, is a bit resistant to that idea. Um, she says, it, it can't just be about my brain chemicals. I want to know what's causing this. Um, and with her doctor urging her uh, to start medication, she doesn't know what she should do. And because you are her friend, she turns to you and asks for your advice. What will you say? Could happen. Maybe it has happened. Um, why, why don't I just take a few minutes? Have a little think together. What, what would you say to Amber um, in the situation I've just laid out? Um, either think on your own if you'd prefer to, um, or chat, chat with others. I'm just going to give you sort of two or three minutes, um, and then uh, we'll press on. Okay, let me, let me jump back in, Malcolm, pay attention. Uh, let, me, let me jump back in. Um, on this occasion, I won't, um, I, I won't uh, ask for your comments, um, but we'll, we'll do that in some of the, some of the later ones. Um, I'm rather hoping uh, that you might say, um, well, Amber, um, maybe you missed them, but we had this brilliant set of talks in the evening recently. Um, and, and, and the guy set out this, this fantastic um, so, sort, of a, sort of model for us. Um, let me talk you through it. Um, okay, jesting apart. Um, actually, that, that, is, you know, that is the way that I would think and approach a conversation with Amber. Uh, I probably would draw that diagram, and I probably would use it as a framework to, to engage with Amber and, and try and think through um, how to address the, the, the thing she's puzzling over. Um, because I think that helps to think um, sensibly uh, and wisely um, about this issue. Um, but maybe, um, despite your, your excellent engagement, um, and uh, uh, as she passes on more of what the, her GP has said, um, may, maybe you find that um, uh, Amber has been doing her research I'll get my slides to move on, move on. Um, and Amber says, well, the thing is, I've been doing a little bit of research about this antidepressant business, and um, they seem to me to be being vastly overused. Um, and uh, maybe she has at her fingertips these statistics that we looked at um, a couple of weeks ago, um, which show the, the extraordinary increase in these drugs, um, rising to the point that, uh, of... 
Uh, studies suggesting 16% of adults in the UK receiving one or more of these prescriptions annually. Um, and for many, and maybe Amber points this out to you, for many this is raising concerns and puzzles about uh, the rise and the use of uh, antidepressant and other uh, psychoactive drugs. Anne Harrington is a, is a Harvard uh, professor of, of the history of science. Uh, she's written a book called Mind Fixers, which uh, traces the history uh, of uh, the search, as she puts it, for the biology of mental illness. Uh, she says this, Today one is hard-pressed to find anyone knowledgeable who believes that the so-called biological revolution of the 1980s made good on most or even any of its therapeutic and scientific promises. Uh, she continues, It is now increasingly clear to the general public that it overreached, overpromised, overdiagnosed, overmedicated, and compromised its principles. Maybe that's so. Um, and maybe uh, the overuse of antidepressants in particular is a cause for concern. I think it is. But does that mean that Amber shouldn't take them? Well, no, it doesn't. The, the, the statistics that say that there is a vast increase in their use um, and that that may be problematic for us as a society doesn't tell you what Amber particularly should do. Um, a man called Mike Emlett has written a book uh, about descriptions and prescriptions. He has, a, he has a lovely little, well, I think it's a lovely little analogy that he uses uh, to, to think in this area. And he says, um, imagine you injure your ankle. Um, well, it could be that you have a minor sprain of your ankle. Um, and uh, you, you go to see a most excellent physio, um, and they say to you, um, listen, it'd be fine. Uh, just keep mobilising, um, and, uh, and it'll recover quickly. No need for a, for a crutch or anything like that. Um, or maybe your excellent physio says, well, do you know, um, it would be good just to take the weight off that for a bit. Um, you know, if you use these crutches, keep no weight-bearing uh, for a couple of weeks, um, just give it a chance to recover, um, and then start mobilising. Or, or maybe, um, because you quite like having a crutch, um, you, start, uh, you start enjoying the crutch too much. It's quite useful for, for doing things with. And so you go on using the crutch much longer than you should do. Um, and a point comes when now you are getting in the way of the recovery of your ankle by, using, by relying on the crutches and continuing to use the crutches long after you should have stopped. That could happen too, couldn't it? Or, or it could be that actually you've done so much damage to your ankle um, that probably um, it's going to be a question of needing to be using a crutch long term, possibly forever. Do, do, do you see the way that the analogy works? For different people with different experiences of depression, any of those, one, any of those things could be true. It might not be necessary, it might be necessary for a time. You could end up using it longer than is useful and it starts to get in the way of recovering. Or it could be um, that this might need to be a long-term use of antidepressants. I, I find that a useful analogy for thinking through um, uh, uh, how you might approach this. Okay, let's take things in a different direction. Um, let's say Amber has heard people say 
that Christians should never be depressed. You just trust in the Lord and uh, rejoice in Him. It's a wicked thing to be depressed when the Lord is so marvellous, she's heard. It's upset her. She wants to know if there are depressed believers in the Bible, or, or if the Bible says anything about depression. Uh, I suppose Amber's asking you that question. What would you say? Uh, where in Scripture would you turn? Does the Bible speak about the experience of depression? If so, where? Um, what would you say to her? Again, a little bit of conversation in groups or on your, think on your own. Okay, I know I'm giving you hopelessly inadequate amount of time to, um, to talk about things that you could spend ages talking about, um, so forgive me. Um, but um, if I'm not going to get even more trouble uh, for overrunning. Um, w w uh, let's, any bright ideas? Um, if you're feeling bold and, and willing to just sort of yell an idea. Any places you might, you might go in conversation with Amber, where in the Bible you might point her? The Psalms. Lovely. Thank you. Yes, the Psalms. Let's hear some other suggestions. Say that again. That was two, two at once. Lamentations. Yes. Uh, Noah. Interesting. Okay, yeah, I like Noah. Hmm, okay. Elijah, which bit of Elijah? Is, is the, it, <laughs> the depressed Elijah. <laughs> good, good spot, Jane. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, anyone else? Job, Job. yeah. There we go, look, look, you, you're very well thought through. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with those. Um, uh, Noah, Noah's a, a fresh thought on me, and I like that one. I'm going I'm to go and think more about Noah. Um, but, yeah, Elijah would be, would be a classic one that lots of people would think of. Do you remember, maybe, with the confrontation with the prophets of Baal and um, off to the, to, to the desert, and he goes off on his own and says, I've had enough, take my life, I want to die, I can't bear it, I'm the only one left. Um, and, and it just feels like a, a, an utter moment of despair in Elijah. And, and Job, certainly, um, I mean, huge... Huge circumstantial events in Job's life, um, but read the anguish and the misery uh, in Job, and you see plenty of that. Um, but, but I would also agree that the Psalms uh, are awash with lament, many, many lament Psalms. Um, here's an example, 102, my days vanish like smoke, my bones burn like glowing embers, I lie awake, I have become like a bird alone on the roof. I forget to eat my food. I mean, you can, you can pick out some of the features that are typical there in depression. You know, loss of appetite, uh, inability to sleep, um, a feeling of... Oh, sorry, I forgot to click on. Uh, a feeling of, uh, of uh, a physical sort of bone, sort of tiredness and, and pain. Um, uh, and then the, the psalmist continues in Psalm 102, uh, I eat my ashes, I eat ashes as my food, mingle my drink with tears. Uh, I wither away like grass. Um, now, many of the lament psalms um, move through a particular pattern. Um, typically, the, the, the experience of lament um, then tips over into some sort of, a, of an engagement with the Lord, some sort of a, 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 sort of a, 
a reminder or, or, or a coming to mind uh, of the psalmist of, of who God is and, and how he's acted and what he's done. Um, and, uh, and, and then from that point on, the psalm sort of transitions um, into greater hope um, and uh, renewed confidence. Um, psalms 42 and 43 uh, have this repeated refrain in them. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Uh, almost as if the psalmist is calling to their own soul to, to, to remember who God is, to remember his goodness, to remember his kindness, to remember his acts of compassion. Um, and I guess as, as Christians, uh, we would be wanting to, to, to remember the Lord's mercy expressed in Christ's death on the cross. Remember how much he's done for you. Remember how much he loves you. Remember that demonstration of his love. To, to try and call that to mind um, would, I suppose, be, be a similar step. That's how most of the laments go. Not all of them. Uh, and the reason that um, we read Psalm 88 is because famously and extraordinarily, Psalm 88 has no transition, has no pivot in the middle, but presses on with despair uh, from beginning to end. The psalmist who's overwhelmed with troubles, who feels they've been put in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. The psalmist feels that they are confined, eyes dim with grief, as if their Lord has rejected them. And the psalm that ends uh, with those awful words, darkness is my closest friend. I often thought on this psalm, uh, and indeed um, Claudia, who I mentioned earlier, um, she and I would often look at this psalm together uh, in the midst of her worst periods of depression uh, as she struggled and wrestled uh, to make sense of where God was and what God wanted of her uh, in the midst of her uh, crushing depression and despair. And, and it seems to me that... You, you, you could ask the question, why would God put a psalm like this in the Scriptures? What's it doing there? Without that transition, without taking us into renewed hope, why, why would God include it in the Scriptures? And I think the answer is that it, it presents to us a believer who in the midst of the most awful and crushing despair still cries to God. I think that's why it's there. E even, as it were, in the absence of, of any internal sense of God's presence. Uh, this psalmist is still speaking. I even their words of complaint, even their words of, of desperation, they are being spoken to somebody. They haven't abandoned their sense that there is a God to be complained to. In other words, I think it's really important to understand that depression and faith can coexist. And, and, and moreover, there is something heroic, it seems to me, 
and it often has seemed to me when I've been with people uh, in the midst of crushing depression, there is something heroic about persevering as a disciple in the absence of feelings. You, you know, you and I, um, assuming you and I are not currently depressed, um, when we are not depressed, uh, you and I uh, can be prompted, pushed on, encouraged by our own sense of God's presence, by the joy we feel at gathering with God's people and singing His praises. And God takes and uses those things, how marvelous, how lovely, in order to, to persuade us to press on as disciples of Christ. Did, did you see how heroic it is to press on as a disciple of Christ in the absence of those things? That, that's, that, that there's a faith there that is to be prized, isn't there? To be valued. Let's think now about um, Amber again. Let, let's say that Amber has decided to take uh, the antidepressants that her GP has recommended. She's been taking them for a couple of weeks, um, but uh, has told you that she just feels worse. And then one evening, it's about 11 o'clock, Friday night, uh, text arrives from Amber. Anxiety unbearable, hate this medication, hate this life, can't see the point. Uh, just take a, a couple of minutes. Um, how will you respond? Um, again, think or talk together. Okay. Um, again, there, there are all sorts of um, useful ways you could, have, you could have taken that conversation, um, and, I, and I've given you, again, a ridiculously short amount of time to, to do so. Um, uh, and there's all sorts of useful things you could have been saying to one another. But, but, but in a sense, um, uh, at this point, the, the, the one response that, that, that I want you to hear most clearly it would go something like this. I'm so sorry. Stay there. I'm coming round. Uh, in other words, to, to, to acknowledge that if somebody is communicating that level of despair, um, you respond and you respond then and there and you respond with some measure of urgency. Um, because it would be right and proper to, to recognize that um, uh, depression uh, involves, in its severest forms, a measure of risk. Um, a significant number of people uh, self-harm, and a significant number of people in the midst of depression take their own lives. Um, and I would not be being wise or thoughtful if, in a presentation like this, I didn't alert us to that and say we need to be conscious of that possibility. Um, and to ask somebody if they are reaching that level of despair doesn't increase the, the risk, doesn't put the idea into their heads. It gives us the chance to find out. And if we were to find out that, that we're wandering, it, it's popped into our heads that this, this could be a possibility uh, for our friend, for our family member, or whatever, um, then that's the point at which to, to draw in somebody else uh, who has... Uh, some level of experience and ability to be able to know how to respond best. Because uh, most of us won't know uh, what would be wisest to do. Uh, and so we find somebody who will be able uh, to advise and guide us in that kind of circumstance. Um, okay, um, I think this is probably the last bit of discussion 
Um, let, let's imagine then that Amber um, is, um, is now regularly taking her medication, still feeling pretty low, um, and looking to you to support her as a friend. Um, can, can we just think in this last little section, what, what could we do? What could you do? What could the church do? What, what would it look like for Christchurch? Um, and we're going to think more about this next week, um, but let's, let's think about it for Amber at this point. What, what would it look like for Christchurch to love Amber well? Um, or for you individually, perhaps, particularly, uh, to love Amber well? What, what, what sort of things come to mind? That there's lots. So, again, I'm just going to give you two or three minutes. Just, just see what you come up with quickly um, in a moment or two. Okay, um, our, time is, our time is nearly gone. Um, so again, much as though I'd love to hear um, lots of the excellent ideas that I'm sure you've been coming up with, um, it, um, we haven't got time to, to do that. Let, let, let me throw some thoughts uh, from me, if I may. Um, I, I think the first thing I want to say is that um, the ambition would be to, to, to listen um, or to make your clicker work. Um, pop on. Um, Maybe my batteries run out. You, know, you pop onto the next slide, please, Olaf. Um, so the first thing I think would be to listen um, and, and to really listen well. Um, the, the experience of depression is a, is a, is a pretty lonely experience, um, and there is a huge amount that can be achieved just by being willing to to, to listen to what it's like for Amber, to to hear. And please understand, as I talk about Amber, maybe you know you want to translate that into you know if you're a man, a male friend, you know, so work with that. But to, to really listen to her um, and and understand what her experience is, there can be something really sort of caring and supportive just in 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 a shared uh, a sharing of the experience. Um, and you do so um, in a way that having really been able to listen to Amber, um, you arrive at the point where you, she feels understood enough for you then to be able to, to talk with her about how, how God would speak to her in the midst of what she's feeling. Do that too quickly, and it, and it really backfires. Um, I mean, you, you, can, you can imagine what it might feel like. I mean, you, know, you don't need me to tell you that... I mean, you know, suppose Emma says to you, um, oh, I feel so very lost. And you say, oh, well, Amber, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And Amber says, yeah, yeah, I know, but um, I, I just feel so hopeless. And you say, ah, Amber, in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And she says, but I feel so guilty all the time. Oh, but Amber, remember there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then Amber says, and I'm also finding you more than a little bit irritating at the moment. <laughs> um, and of course you'd be right. You see, I mean, th th there, there is a time and a place, isn't there, to communicate Bible truth. Um, and the, the time and the place um, is after having listened very carefully and um, 
come alongside somebody. Um, we don't use Bible verses like sort of hand grenades that we just sort of toss at people uh, almost as if they're weapons. Um, that's why you've got to begin by listening and, and, and understand what is going on in Amber's heart. What is she, what is she wrestling with? You know, is she wrestling with a, with a perfectionism that is so very hard uh, to live up to her own standards? Is she desperately trying to, to, trying to keep everybody happy? Um, and there's this strong element of people-pleasing. Um, is there um, a, a measure of, of wanting um, to, uh, to be respected by other people and it be exasperated um, by a husband or a flatmate uh, who constantly undermines her? Now, now, once you've heard that, it doesn't mean that that is the cause of her depression. Remember the diagram from earlier on. Um, but, but once you've understood some of the things that are going on in her heart, you're in a position with her to be able to think through um, how God uh, and his gracious mercy speaks um, into the, the detail of her struggle in her heart. Um, there are other things you might want to do as well. You, you might want to think about practical things, encouraging uh, people in their exercise, um, Encouraging people in good sleep patterns and good eating patterns. These are, these are all very valuable. Um, you, you might want to think about, can, can we help getting Amber to church? Um, people who are, are in, in a significant depression would find coming into a, a, a room as full of people like this really difficult on their own. Might just make it possible for you to say, let, let me pick you up and, and I'll take you along. Or, or let me pick you up on, uh, we'll go to home group this week. I know you've not been for two or three months. Why don't we just go, we'll go for coffee at the beginning. Um, and, um, and then I'll, I'll take you home again. Uh, just be nice. Everyone would love to see you. You know, just think imaginative. Think creatively. Um, do social things. Uh, maybe Amber's given up going out shopping. Take her to the shops uh, to get her food shop for that week. Um, maybe there's some Christian music that you found encouraging and you could share that with her. Um, uh, maybe you could offer to read the Bible to her. Maybe you could say, Look, I'll, I'll text you a thought from my quiet time every, every day. If you haven't got the energy to, to, to read it, that's no worry, I'll just keep doing it, um, if you'd find that helpful. Now, again, th there's a way of doing that that feels like you're sort of imposing it upon Amber, but there's another way of doing it which feels like you're coming alongside her and loving her and caring her uh, in the midst of that. Um, and we'd be trying to, to do uh, the latter. Um, the, the very last thing I want to say um, is, um, let's suppose that two years have passed, Amber is still depressed. Um, and nothing seems to be changing. Um, it's no longer a crisis, but things just plodding on. And I think it's really important that, as a church, where we find that somebody is, is sort of stuck um, in that kind of way, that it doesn't feel to them as though everyone is waiting for them to get better in order for them to be involved in the life of the church, but that we find creative ways, imaginative ways, of helping people to be involved, feel a part of, a, of our church community in the midst of the struggle. Um, and I think that's a really important um, principle I wanted to, uh, to mention. Um, uh, we'll just flick to, to the final slide, same 147, because we need to stop. Um, I was, no, slide before that, and before that one, and another one. No, no, you're going the wrong way now, Olaf. Uh, we're going back. That's the one. That's the one. We like that one. Um, I just wanted to finish with this verse because I, I was reading it recently and it really struck me. Um, you were, I think we were looking at it, 
the other morning with Niv. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. Uh, he's compassionate for the individual. Um, he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. That's a lovely picture of the Lord God, isn't it? Mighty in power and yet caring uh, for the individual. Um, uh, what, what a comfort to know uh, for people who struggle uh, in the way that we've described. Um, let, me, let me pray for us. Uh, Father God, we've, we've skated um, all too briefly um, uh, around experiences that are uh, so very, very hard. Um, and uh, our prayer is, as we've begun to think uh, this week and as we, as we will think more next week, uh, that you would help us to be a, a community of believers together who step into these kind of struggles uh, with compassion, uh, with wisdom, uh, with love and care. Uh, please, uh, please help us uh, to do that. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to think about them together. Uh, thank you that uh, faith in you does make a difference, uh, doesn't guarantee uh, that our lives are trouble-free, um, but uh, does provide us uh, with uh, comfort, uh, even in the midst of the hardest things, including the experience of depression. Uh, so help us in these things, please. Uh, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.